We are privileged to be joined by Rabbi Benjamin Rose, the editor-at-large of Mishpacha magazine. Benjamin spent nearly a decade and a half as news editor. He has an unparalleled grasp of Israeli politics, as well as many other topics. Benjamin, thank you for joining us again. My pleasure, Yaakov. Now, first, we are, of course, all experiencing very challenging times. Are you on lockdown right now? And how are you feeling? How are you doing? I guess you can call it a lockdown. Basically, uh, you're supposed to be restricted to uh, 100 meters from your home. Uh, the question is how you manage that if the nearest uh, Makolet or grocery store is more than 100 meters away. Wow. So uh, people, are, uh, people are taking some liberties, but I would say for the most part, everyone is observing the strictures and uh, uh, the hanchayot, as they call them, the uh, guidance that we've gotten from the uh, Ministry of Health. Uh, we're allowed to uh, do basically whatever we need to do to live. We can shop. Uh, we can get food. Uh, so uh, we're pretty much loaded up for Pesach and ready to go at this point. Uh, as far as normal life, it's definitely not normal. Uh, we stay home almost all the time other than when we have to go out for food shopping or doctor's appointments. There are virtually no minyanim. And uh, we're, we're learning how to daven in a different way now. Right. And we're going to get to the politics in a moment, but Prime Minister Netanyahu just issued a new rule about masks, right? Everybody's required to wear masks throughout the country? Uh, they're required to, but uh, there's two problems. Number one, not everyone has them. And number two, the police haven't been given the order to actually enforce it. Okay, turning to Israeli politics, there have been intense negotiations about a unity government, and they appear to be close, but now things uh, appear to have come to an impasse, which always seems to happen in Israeli politics. So as far as you're aware, where do negotiations stand right now? How likely is it that they will form a unity government, in your opinion? Is there still a chance of a fourth election? Can't believe I'm saying that. That's a lot of questions in one, but I'll try to tackle them <laughs> one at a time. Uh, uh, both, both parties are still trying to negotiate a national unity government. Both parties need them because either side, neither side is strong enough to make a government on their own, at least at this moment. The reason why Benny Gantz caved in, as people like to say here, is because he knew that he couldn't make a government. He didn't have a majority of 61. So he said, let me get the best deal that I can. And what he did was he pulled a uh, very shrewd maneuver, which was to have himself elected as the uh, Speaker of the Knesset, once uh, Yuli Edelstein was deposed from the position. And what that did was that basically gave him control of the Knesset agenda and handcuffed Netanyahu. So that was a smart thing that Gantz did that gave him power and gives him some control in the absence of the ability to make a 61-seat majority. On the other hand, Netanyahu might be able to make a 61-seat majority, but not before he would do a lot of bleeding. So at this point, he would prefer to make a deal with Gantz than to let Gantz run out the string, which would then allow a lot of other uh, legislation to be introduced in the Knesset, which could possibly uh, finish Netanyahu politically. So right now, he's, he's got as much incentive as Gantz does to try to get this deal done. Now, getting to the maneuver you mentioned about Benny Gantz, because I think this confused a lot of us who are outside of the Israeli political realm. Uh, if Benny Gantz, you said he did it to handcuff Netanyahu. On the one hand, Netanyahu wanted Gantz because at that point they already had a deal, right? So it, it actually benefited Netanyahu in the sense that it helped him move toward the unity government. But you're saying that by Gantz be, getting elected himself as the speaker, that actually hurt Netanyahu? 
Right, because if Netanyahu wanted to join a national unity government with Gantz, Netanyahu wanted to do it on his terms, meaning he would be the Rosh Memchala, and he would decide how long he's staying in the position, and he would decide how to allocate the different portfolios among the different coalition partners. Once Gantz took the position of uh, Knesset Speaker, so I, we all know what uh, power Nancy Pelosi has. Now, again, it's very hard to compare American politics and the American form of government to the Israeli form of government. But just like Nancy Pelosi has a tremendous amount of power and was able to use that power in order to get a lot of the terms that she wanted uh, versus President Trump. So the Knesset speaker has the same kind of power. The Knesset speaker controls the agenda of the Knesset. They can decide what legislation to take up and when and what legislation they don't want to take up and then they can handcuff it. So basically, by Gantz becoming Knesset Speaker, he basically told Netanyahu, fine, I'm going to put you in, uh, in binds or in irons, as they would say, in a sailing term, and uh, whatever you want to do, I'll make sure that it basically gets buried in the legislature so that you can't do anything. Very interesting. Now, before the unity deal, Blue and White, they were trying to gain control of the Knesset and pass legislation to really push Prime Minister Netanyahu out. And my question is, did they really think that was an option, especially in light of the coronavirus crisis and the mayhem that is ensuing right now? Could they really believe that they could just replace Netanyahu right in the middle of all this? No one predicted uh, the effects of the coronavirus and how that would impact uh, the politics. So that's certainly the wild card in the whole picture and will continue to be the wild card in the picture. But yes, before that, before we knew how the coronavirus would lock everyone down, Blue and white felt that, along with the Arabs, that they had 61 seats in the Knesset. And those 61 seats basically had one raison d'etre. And that raison d'etre was to depose Netanyahu. Because they knew that they would never, sorry to interject, they knew they would never actually turn that into a ruling coalition because Lieberman and the Arab joint list, that was never going to happen. So that was just a way of knocking out Netanyahu. Exactly. It was a way of knocking out Netanyahu. And they said, okay, let's uh, try to gain and win what we can. And then after that, so we can't make a coalition, but at least Netanyahu won't be the Rosh Hashanah. And then even if we had to go to the fourth election that you mentioned before, that it would happen without Netanyahu being the head of the Likud party. But what happened was, is Gantz realized in the middle that it wasn't going to happen. He was also faced with the rebellion of two members of his own party, uh, uh, Tzvi Hauser and uh, Yoaz Hendel. And then uh, Orly Levy Abacasas from Labour decided to defect also. And once Gantz was faced with those uh, three defections from what he thought would be 61 seats, so he was left with 58, and he figured, well, I better seize whatever opportunity I have right now. And that, again, was to become the Speaker of the Knesset, again, to handcuff Netanyahu. And that's what's giving him all this power, and that's what's making Netanyahu say, okay, i got to make a deal with this guy before the deadline. Now, let's get into this, and this is fascinating, the way you're describing this all, and let's get into the strategic maneuvering here, certain things that went on back and forth that we could never imagine happening in the United States. Yuli Edelstein, he refused to convene the Knesset, saying that during the coronavirus crisis, it would not make sense. The high court overruled him. The high court ordered him to convene the Knesset. He defied the order, and were you? And, and essentially, I believe that that sort of saved the day, and that sort of saved Netanyahu, because if they convene that Knesset, Gantz is in charge, and as you said, they can then push him out. Were you surprised that Edelstein did that, and how did he even get away with that? I can't even imagine Nancy Pelosi, as you said, defying a Supreme Court order in the United States and just ignoring and not convening the Congress. The problem is that uh, Edelstein's... Uh 
move to uh, close down the Knesset uh, was basically a way of saving himself and his own job. And he had the opportunity to do that a couple of weeks earlier when uh, Blue and White wanted to convene uh, the entire Knesset in order to start the whole process of being able to introduce the laws in order to uh, depose Netanyahu, meaning to convene the Arrangements Committee. So what happened was is that at the time, Edelstein had the opportunity to shut down the Knesset a couple of weeks earlier to stop the Arrangements Committee from meeting, which would have meant if the Arrangements Committee had not met, which it did, then basically you couldn't have had a new speaker of the Knesset and you couldn't have had the formation of any committees that are currently working even on a makeshift basis in the Knesset. Edelstein missed that opportunity because, uh, unfortunately, in my opinion, I think he, was, he, he wasn't looking as much to save Netanyahu as he was to save his own position. And then what happened was when his own position was on the line, then he decided, okay, now I'm going to uh, uh, close down the Knesset, even at the risk of defying the Supreme Court. Now, you're not going to hear too many people say that. And uh, what I'm saying is a bit controversial, but that's what <laughs> I feel about happened. And I think, uh, I think he got zapped as a result. And now he's trying to crawl back into the position of the Knesset speaker in all of the, uh, uh, now in all of the uh, uh, selection of the uh, different cabinet officers that's uh, going on right now in negotiation. And uh, we'll, see if, uh, we'll see if he succeeds or not. But uh, if he doesn't, then he's going to be out of power himself. I think he could have saved Netanyahu and himself a few weeks earlier and he missed the opportunity, and now he's paying for it. Really interesting. Now, where do things stand right now in the negotiations? The reports are that Gantz does not want the Haredim to hold certain cabinet ministry posts, and they can't agree about that. Yamina is upset that Gantz has very few Knesset seats, but is still getting half the cabinet posts. Although, as you mentioned before, Gantz has so much leverage here that he can really squeeze a lot out of Netanyahu. So where, where do things stand? Look, everything is really very much in flux, and there's also a lot of spin right now. So uh, the different members of the cabinet can certainly change between now and uh, the next week. Uh, yes, it is true that uh, Gans probably wanted Chavar uh, Knesset Litzman removed from the health ministry and to put someone else in there, but it seems like they've solved that and they're going to keep uh, Litzman in the health ministry. Uh, the the, uh, the big machloket, uh, if you will, between uh, the two parties was who was going to serve as justice minister. According to the reports I've seen today, it seems like it's been agreed that Avi Nissenkorn of uh, Blue and White, meaning of Gans party, will be the justice minister. But uh, the Likud will have more control of the uh, committee in the Knesset underneath the Ministry of Justice. So you're going to have this tug of war. And I think this is the thing to remember, no matter what happens, assuming that somehow they get a national unity government together, there's going to be real gridlock and deadlock the entire time, because the way they're trying to work out the situation is that whoever's named a cabinet minister, the other party will have someone underneath in the Knesset or a deputy minister who can try to handcuff and basically have veto power over the decisions of whoever the cabinet minister is. So that's what a lot of the jockeying is about, is who's going to be the minister and who's going to uh, have the power behind the scenes. And uh, however they work it out, it's a recipe for deadlock and gridlock. Right, which we've seen so often. Now, before I let you go, perhaps one of the most important questions, assuming the unity deal does go through, how will the Haredim be impacted? Is this the best they can hope for at this point, considering Netanyahu 
only got the 58 seats, as you said, you know, was really in a bind. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? So as far as uh, Lutzman is concerned, it's important for him that he stay in uh, the health ministry. And Arya Derry's spot as uh, interior minister is secure. And Moshe Gaffney's uh, position as head of the Knesset Finance Committee is probably secure. And as far as the Haredim are concerned, uh, they're happy with that because that was the status quo beforehand. And that will give them enough control over the Knesset budget and allocations so that money will still flow to uh, the yeshivas and to the, uh, uh, the Haredi institutions. And Chavar uh, uh, Knesset Litzman, who basically has overall, I think, a very good record in the health ministry. Uh, I don't know that there's anyone who can manage this kind of crisis now, but uh, he's done a lot in terms of building new hospitals, in terms of getting uh, more equipment to the hospitals. He'll stay in his job. And uh, with Derry as interior minister, so basically uh, he controls the population ministry, and that makes it very, very difficult for anyone to uh, try to uh, do anything in terms of uh, a civil marriage or uh, uh, expanding the law of return so that uh, more people who aren't really Jewish can uh, can uh, become Jewish at least on their uh, uh, at least on their two dots of hoot. So, uh, as long as uh, the Haredi parties are able to maintain those positions of power they should be fine and they'll be willing to go along with whatever else happens. The, the big bugaboo right now, supposedly, is over the uh, Trump plan because Netanyahu, basically, he looks at this as the crown jewel of his entire 14 years of rule as prime minister that he'll be able to say, I secured the security of Israel in terms of we now have control over the Jordan River Valley. Right. And all the settlements as they exist today will remain under Jewish and Israeli control. Gantz is balking for some reason, which no one is quite sure, because the feeling is that he doesn't really oppose it in terms of that uh, he, has any, he has anything against the idea. Uh, but, but for some reason, either he doesn't want it written into the guidelines or he wants enough flexibility so that uh, he, he doesn't feel that he's pinned to it. But it's going to be very hard for him to oppose uh, uh, President Trump on that. So no one really knows exactly what's going on on that. But that seems to be the big... Uh, impediment right now as we're speaking right now. Okay, wow. Great point. Right. And that is interesting, as you say, why, why Gantz is so strong about that. It seems that m many Israelis uh, are certainly supportive of Trump's plan, as you'd, ex as you'd expect at this stage of things. Uh, all right, final question. It sounds like you think a unity deal is likely, if I'm reading you correctly, is that correct? And does that mean that in 18 months, you know, we can expect Prime Minister Netanyahu to be stepping down? I do think a unity deal is likely because I don't see another choice. Uh, as far as Netanyahu stepping down, so that's, uh, that's also been a big issue because one of the reasons that uh, Gantz uh, hesitated to get into this in the first place is because a lot of people don't trust Netanyahu's promises. But uh, what they're talking about is having them both sworn in at the same time and having everything very clear and in writing. And uh, again, I think Netanyahu at this point is probably willing to step away as long as he knows he's not going to spend his retirement in jail. So one of the things we're <laughs> uh -huh. talking about is that if he steps down from prime minister, he'll do it at a time when Ruvi Rivlin's term as president is up, and then Netanyahu can step into the presidency, and that will confer immunity on him, and then he can basically serve as president for the next seven years after that, and uh, you can forget about his trial and you can forget about all the charges. Interesting. I did not hear anybody else make that. That's a great point. I keep wondering what the end game is. And uh, that sounds right. <laughs>
It's been, it has been written in a couple of places, and that is the end game for Netanyahu. At this point, it's a matter of survival. He wants to stay out of jail, and he wants to have a few more accomplishments as prime minister before he can segue into the next uh, stage in his public life. Okay, as always, Rabbi Rose, we appreciate you taking the time. You have such a broad and deep grasp and clarity about these issues. I really mean that, very, like very few people, and it certainly benefits our audience to be able to share in that. My pleasure, as always. Okay, Rabbi Yamin Rose, editor-at-large of Mishpacha Magazine. Stay healthy, cultive, and have a chakash v'sameach. L'chein l'mar.